Hey, this is Russell. Today I bring you Devin Real, who is an old friend of mine from the time when we were both co-counselors together at a Christian science summer camp in Maine. We do talk about that experience at the end of the episode, and I think you should stick around for that because it's a pretty unique camp and something you don't really get to hear about in other places that often. But we also talk about the pretty cool life Devin has led since then. He was a professional musician for 10 years with a band called Revision. We talk about that and what it was like to decide to ultimately leave music. But we also talk about the decision that he and his family made three years ago to move to Costa Rica. And for those of you who have listened to past episodes, you know that I'm always interested in families that decide to make that sort of decision, how they made it and what it's been like since then. So I hope you enjoy. Here's Devin Real. Devin Real, welcome to What Really Matters. How's it going? Good, man. Thanks for having me. Well, it's good to reconnect with you. It's been awesome. And you reached out to me like a month ago. Um, Yeah. And... You reached out to me from Costa Rica, and that's where you're calling in from. So tell me, tell me, like, what is Costa Rica like during coronavirus? What is it like to be there? Yeah, well, it probably depends on where in Costa Rica you are, and we happen to be in a pretty rural area. So I'd say within like a 15 minute driving radius of us, there's probably a few thousand people. So it's not a very populated area. If we lived in San Jose, I think it would be different, which is the the bigger city. Most most of the population's up there. But where we are, um, you know, things are closed down like they are in a lot of other places. Schools have been closed for over a month. Um, essential businesses are open. There's some driving restrictions, I think, to just keep people from moving around a, a bit. Uh, so like based on the end of your license plate, like the last number of your license plate depends on the day you can drive. Um, but it's been pretty, I mean, our life has been pretty much staying home and uh, being with our kids. And we have twin seven-year-olds just turned seven on Wednesday. So, um, so paint, the, uh, paint the picture a little bit. Do you live on the beach? What is your, what's your house like down there? No. Yeah. I Well, so the town we live in is Uvita, which is, um, <clears throat> It's, it's right where the jungle meets the beach, basically. So there's there's one road, like a two-lane road, okay? So picture your average, just <laughs> cars going in either direction, paved. It's only been paved for, I think, 12 years or something. So to give you a sense of sort of like how this area has developed in, you know, the last decade, it's, it's grown a lot from what it was. Um, and there's not a lot of paved roads. I'd say there's no traffic lights. Um, <laughs> there's um, a couple grocery stores, a couple gas stations, a bunch of restaurants, um, a lot of dirt roads. Like the road Are road. the restaurants open or, or not open? There are some, there's maybe like four or five that are open for takeout. And So, uh, so you, need, you need to eat, obviously. So you yeah. go grocery shopping, yep. that sort of thing. Yeah. yeah, so we'll go to the grocery store once every week. We do we're cooking everything in our house basically and and that's mm-hmm. I think that's what most people are doing. Um yeah, so it's it's a pretty uh like like from a 5 minute drive from here, you you'd be at the beach and there's 
there's several beaches. It's just, they kind of follow the coast. The road follows the coastline. And then if you drove the other direction, you'd, you'd start going up some pretty steep mountain roads and you'd be at about, I don't know, maybe like 2000 feet of elevation in, in not too long. Gotcha. So you, you see out, look out at the ocean. One thing I'm, I'm sort of curious about, because if, before we get into your life story, which is a pretty interesting life story, but I, the thing I'm curious, I, I heard you say about Costa Rica, uh, that, you know, it's more relaxed and there's, you know, you have to be more patient. People don't move as a, as a hectic pace. I mean, anyone who's traveled to Latin America knows this. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the U.S., it's, it's obviously not like that. I go to the grocery store now and it's like incredibly stressful there for some reason. Everyone mm-hmm. feels stressed out. Everyone is dealing with a lot of anxiety here. Mm-hmm. Um and you, I, I think that you really feel that when you go grocery shopping, when you just go to get that weekly food. Is is that felt there? Do you, or is it different? Uh, I think there is a level of stress. Uh, Asia, my wife, has been doing the grocery shopping trips, um, mm. so she's told me that yeah, increasingly there's more people with masks. There's precautions in place, like they give everybody gloves and they clean the carts and they have the they have the um, tellers behind like plexiglass. Like, mm-hmm. so there's, they've, they've done some things to change, but um, uh, I think generally it's less stressful and it's less like hoarding kind of uh, feel, <laughs> you know, like, I mean, that's what I've, I heard stories early on of people feeling like there's like nothing, you know, there and we haven't experienced anything, even as remote as we are, we haven't experienced anything with supply issues. Mm-hmm. Um like shortages so yeah i think it generally people are following the following the guidelines and the country uh i was just looking at a chart the other day that the mortality rate in costa rica is the lowest in all of latin america which is about 20 countries you know Uh, so Mm -hmm. they've fared quite well they've closed the borders in uh to like foreign foreign nationals for a while which is a big move for them because such a large portion of their GDP is tourism based. Um, you can't even get flights in or out. I mean, the airlines have basically stopped operating uh, for the most part. And and that's the case, I think, through most of May. So th- they've made a, they've, it's been successful in that regard. I think there's been six deaths in the whole country and less than a thousand cases. But the the flip side to that is that they're in this tough situation because they will have to open at some point uh to to keep getting business and also because the system is, i mean because it's it's a smaller system um it could be overwhelmed probably faster than in more in bigger countries so if they're not careful about how they open up like it will you know it, it could it could change and so yeah They've closed the beaches, and that's one of the things that's impacted a lot of the people here in town. You're not just tourists, but like you know, people who go to the beach for sort of, you know, that's part of the reason we live here. Mm. <laughs> uh, for me, surfing, but also just walking on the beach with your with your family or running or whatever. Um, and those are all closed. And I think they're doing that because the beaches are basically people magnets. I mean, the beaches here are big; you can keep your distance really easily, but people will come down from the northern part of the country right like if they're open so Mm -hmm. i i think my 
I wish that would open sooner as sort of almost like, you know, some, some states are opening parks. <laughs> uh, I, I wish that would happen here, but I don't, I'm not optimistic that that's going to be soon. That's so similar to what's going on here in, in Romney, New Hampshire, which, you know, I moved to because there's a world-class climbing destination a mile from my house. Right. And that climbing destination is currently closed. And the, you know, the argument is the same. It's that it, it will draw people in from other neighboring states, from Boston area, from Massachusetts, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm like, you know, there's a thousand climbs there spread out over like 40 crags. Mm-hmm. If it were only the locals showing up to climb, we would have no problem social distancing, being responsible. But mm-hmm. we just can't, like no one's allowed to go. Right, so. because because you don't know how other people conduct <laughs> conduct themselves. Yeah, it's it's really tricky like that. I mean, I don't really know that I disagree with it. I know that in the early the first couple of weeks, they the beaches were still open, and we were as a family, we were going at like five in the morning, and we would just spend a couple hours on the beach, and we were never close to anybody, and it was really therapeutic. Like it was a yeah. really important thing during those first couple of weeks for mental health, but. Yeah, yeah, it's not a thing. Yeah. Well, anyone who has been reading my stuff on the newsletter knows I, I think that the government here in the U.S. is probably getting the balance a little bit wrong. Um, mm-hmm. When they close areas, it pushes people into other areas, into other smaller areas. So it's mm-hmm. self-defeating in one sense. And in the other sense, this isn't directed at you, Devin, but just at the audience. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, in the other sense, it's like, being outside is very therapeutic. We also know it's healthy and it's really important if you're going to shut down the economy and tell people to not go anywhere or stay home, that they at least have that. Yeah. And um, Anyway, it's on the other hand, I don't begrudge the public officials who have to make these decisions. I think there are no easy decisions at the moment. Yeah. The best of two bad options, you know, Yeah. I, I will say that like, as much as I'm griping about the beach, you know, just also to paint the picture, like, you know, we have a, we have like a four bedroom house that we rent and we have a yard and we have, um, I mean, this morning I got woken up by howler monkeys. There's birds. I mean, the birds here are pretty much throughout the day, butterflies, all that. I mean, so like, I don't, there's a ton of green around me, like all the time. It's 75 degrees. I have no complaints. I'm super fortunate to be in a place where I feel like, connected with nature if i go out on my if i leave my front door you know like i've got that right. around me so that is a that is a beautiful thing about this place yeah and that's the same here so why don't why don't you just give us the the 30 second or one minute overview of from college to now because it's pretty cool what what you've done with your life so far i think it's cool from the outside Maybe you can give it your It was cool. I, I'm, happy, yeah, yeah. I'm happy with how it's gone. Uh, yeah. So yeah, I went to college in Ithaca, New York, and I met some, uh, I'd been a, a musician, a drummer since I was four years old. And, um, and I met some musicians there in college. I wasn't studying music. I was studying communications, corporate communications. And, um, but I, I met some musicians there and I formed a funk rock band original band and we just started touring just regionally just for fun right in college and then it turned into a business um 
which we all stayed with even after we graduated, stayed in Ithaca, played 150 shows a year about uh, for roughly nine years and recorded about 100 songs in the studio. And um, so we had this, yeah, we like we were professional musicians uh, and that was a really interesting uh, decade and 10,000 hours of a thing, right? So, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so, I d- so we did that. Um, and then when that time ended, it, there was no drama that ended it. It just felt like it was time for us to do something else. And um, so when we did that, uh, I moved to New York City. I lived there for five years. I freelanced as a web developer and graphic designer uh, and got married. And then my wife and I joined forces, launched our own company, doing that kind of work, web development, marketing, strategy. We moved to Chicago and we had twins, surprise, surprise twins too, which, you know, having twins is like its its own little chapter of, you know, kind of unique experience, but we didn't know we were going to have them. So uh, we, we had a boy and a girl, Carter and Deva. We moved to Chicago and uh, at the five year, at our five year anniversary, her parents said, you know what, you guys could go on a anniversary trip. And so we, we wanted to go on like an active vacation. So we did this surf and yoga camp down here in this town that I live in now. And we were there for a week. We learned to surf and do yoga. (laughs) Basically, that was what we did for a week. And it was amazing. We met the people that ran it and became friends with them. And we were going to leave Chicago as the kids were about three. And we decided, you know, this is a crazy idea. We're going to go to California. But but crazy idea. What if we actually like, you know, went to Costa Rica instead? our business was online so we could earn money. And, um, that's pretty much, uh, you know, that opens the door <laughs> for sure. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, we, we did some scouting, you know, scouting trips, made a decision to do it about six months later, packed 11 duffel bags, moved our family down here and, um, started living in Costa Rica most of the year. Uh, we would go back to the States a couple times a year, kept our business in the States, but, but ran it from here and worked here. So that's the, yeah, it wasn't so a that's... minute, but I, I, I tried. <laughs> no, that's good. I want to ask you about the decision to move to Costa Rica, but I, but before that, I want to ask you about what it was like to make your living as a, as a musician for 10 years and then decide to stop. Because mm-hmm. first of all, I don't think you mentioned the band. It's called Revision. Mm-hmm. And you can you can get the music on Spotify anywhere, right? You can go yeah. online. And yeah, there's find... a few albums on Spotify now. Yep. Yeah. And it's it's just incredible that you made you're living that way because just so few musicians get to that point and you did it for ten years. Yeah. Um so but it wasn't like you didn't get rich, right? No, you, no, no. We right. No, I can I can assure you we did not get rich. It's really <laughs> interesting when people ask you about your career as a musician, like either while you're in it or after the, the questions you commonly get are, who did you open for? (laughs) It's so funny. Like, so who did you guys open for? Like, well, we did it for 10 years. Uh, (laughs) That's like, that's the thing that I'm super proud of uh, because I can't tell you how many we saw come and go in that time, you know, Um, and just to have the discipline uh, but also, from a legacy standpoint, the fact that we did record so much music 
um like that's never going away like it exists yeah. whether people like it or not like it's it's a it's a thing that can't be ever taken away like a, a live show is a fleeting moment and it creates memories for people and memories for me but to have recordings too is is pretty cool but yeah it was it was not um so it started as a college band. Okay. So college band, you play your, your college town. There's a venue that you fall in love with or fall in love with you. And you bring a few 400 people, 500 people down there and they'll let you play whenever you want. And that's, and you make some money. Right. But it's just, it's like, you know, a few hundred bucks of cash. And that's a lot when you're a college kid, but that's kind of where it started. And then you, you get invited to like play another college, right? Somewhere else in upstate New York. And you go over there and you make a little more money or whatever. But then you got to figure out like your carpooling, right? You're just, you're, <laughs> you got, you got gear, you've got all this stuff. So then you got to buy a van. And you, before you buy a van, you want to decide, are we really going to drive around? I mean, this was the model then, but like, um, are we going to drive around and do this? Like, what about day jobs? What about, you know, girlfriends what about where we're gonna live all this stuff and so it just there were little stages right like there was a booking agent in new england that took interest in us and offered to work with us and they they started handling the booking side of things so we were able to tour and if you drew a six-hour circle around ithaca new york you can get to boston dc cleveland i mean you, you can there's there's a lot of markets that you can play and so basically our weeks turned into you know basically thursday friday saturday sunday we're going somewhere and this is year round so this is in when it's 20 below you know you're going to burlington new york on a friday or burlington vermont on a friday you know you're driving across the icy roads with a trailer uh behind your van there's there's a lot of like um it, it's almost like an expedition right like like you think of it, it's a four or five hour drive. That's not really an expedition, but it kind of is because you, <laughs> you're just in the car with three other guys. And if something happens, if, it, if a tire goes bad, if someone gets sick, if someone needs to go to the urgent care, I mean, just like a million things happen, but you're just in it together. And then, then you arrive and you hump a bunch of gear up some staircase and, you know, you set up and you play music for three hours until two in the morning then you pack it all up put it back in the freezing van go crash on someone's couch wake up in the morning drive six hours do it again so there's a you can imagine just what mm -hmm. that over the time scale i'm talking about would do to relationships <laughs> in a good way like you know you just become brothers so yeah yeah but so and then after 10 years you've been doing this it's it's a living and yeah. you you all are getting to do the thing you love even if it's sort of super hard to do it um yeah but everything satisfying is also super hard so there's that yeah and you know it wasn't like a band breakup but what was the conversation that you had with with these other guys yeah you know? well we um yeah and i also i just gave you like a I gave you the hard, the hard picture. I mean, the good picture is you, you, you meet a, a ton of people from all over the world. You know, you, you, you get to play your own music. Right. And, mm -hmm. and that's, and you're writing music and that feels amazing. Um, but yeah, uh, the conversation around ending it was, uh, we, we had two kind of, um, 
So our guitarist, Nick, and our keyboardist, JP, uh, JP also played left-hand keys, um, left-hand bass. So he was our bassist and keyboardist and, and a singer. So um, they both, I would say they were both the primary songwriters. Like we, we always wrote collaboratively, but they would each bring us songs to the band and we would just kind of like collaborate to make them a revision song. And uh, I think like uh, JP had started doing some, He'd start playing in a reggae band when he had time, which would, he didn't have a lot of time, but he had some time. Um, and he was just interested in some other stuff. Nick was interested in some other stuff. I I was getting married and had moved uh, in the last year of it. I had moved to New York City, so I was basically like shuttling in for the weekend shows or going mm -hmm. on two-week runs. So it was like everybody was uh, no one. We were no longer all living in the same house, like you know, in day in day out in the business together, you know. So there was a little bit of natural sort of life happening, and that was kind of where it happened. And then I remember, I don't know, one of those weeks when I we had written a whole new album, and we were going to record it with a producer we were really excited about, uh, Alan Evans, who's a drummer in this band called Soul Live. And we went up and uh, that was our plan. And we we're like, all right, well, let's record this album and then play six months of shows. And then that'll be that. And so, but it was kind of a, yeah, it was a heavy conversation when we first broached the topic of ending it for sure. But it wasn't like, I don't recall like, uh, tears i just or or like frustration or yelling or anything like that i think it was just more like the heaviness of the moment like and just kind of looking back but also all feeling like collectively our lives were kind of moving in different directions and so so it wasn't like it ended and then it was just over it was like okay this is going to end so what's the mm. next six months gonna look like and that album that we recorded turned out to be by far the best one that we had recorded uh and just an amazing experience to do and so then mm -hmm. we just played those songs and and played a final show in ithaca and that was that was it yeah i mean i think in terms of movie scenes and uh you know i have the same feeling of some legacy that you do and that i've written and directed a couple movies and mm. those are out there now and it's nice that they're out there and but that's still sort of how my brain works. So I'm thinking of, you know, where were you guys who first brought it up? And, you know. Yeah, it was outside of a rehearsal. We were at, we were in Ithaca mm -hmm. at, a, at, a, at their house because Nick and JP were still living together. And we, yeah, I think we, they went out on, a, on the sidewalk for a cigarette break or something. And, mm -hmm. and then we just started talking and, uh, yeah, it was, and then we took it in the living room and talked a little bit more, and then we rehearsed again for another couple of days and played a bunch of shows. And I mean, because that's the other thing is your life is basically booked for the next six months. <laughs> so yeah. if you want to end things, like you have contracts, <laughs> you have to play out. You have to basically tell your booking agent, "Look, after today, no more." <laughs> you know, yeah. for the next six months, and so that's that's the other thing is you you're kind of you're never quite sure, like, when can we take a vacation? Like, you have to fight for that time, right? Because at, your agent's just going to try and book you as much as they can. <laughs> yeah. So, anyway. so you, you've, you've moved on from that stage in your life. You were creating music, creating art. You started a business with your wife. You have kids. Yep. 
And I want to, you know, I want to hear about moving to Costa Rica and yeah. you're, I, I seek out families that have done this. On an earlier podcast, I talked to a woman who moved her family to New Zealand just for one year. Hmm. And she had her own business and her husband was a physician. He was able to get like a one-year assignment in New Zealand to go do it. Um, and then they came back to the US and I talked to them about what that was like. I'm like, didn't you guys just want to stay in New Zealand indefinitely? Because that seems like a much better country, yeah, you know? Yeah. <laughs> but like what what did she say? I I'll I'll listen to the episode, but like why did they come back? I'm just curious. Yeah, I mean it's it's tough. They I think her ultimate reason was for school for the kids because she felt that oh, they had three kids, they were getting older. I think she ultimately felt that in order to provide their kids with the absolute best opportunities in life, mm -hmm. that that meant U.S. schools, U.S. high school and college. Okay. And that said, like all the other reasons were pointing toward New Zealand, like quality of life wasn't even close. Mm -hmm. the, the husband surfed okay <laughs> <laughs> yeah um and it was like cheaper to live there and there weren't school shootings and she, you know it was tough but ultimately they decided to come back and see how it felt and i think that they were definitely questioning whether it was right so it was an easy decision so. sure sure so tell me tell me you know you, you took this vacation and tell me what that conversation was like with your wife. Like, yeah. should we do this? What are the pluses? What are the minuses? Are we crazy? Did that mm -hmm. come up? Yeah. Oh like? yeah. Oh yeah. It definitely came up. Are we crazy came up multiple times. The, I mean, okay. So, so for starters, we, we acknowledged just out of the gate that like a vacation is not the same as living somewhere. Right. And, and the people that ran the surf camp, the the surf lodge that we worked at surf and yoga lodge uh there were two two couples um it was an interesting mix like uh mexican american husband canadian wife costa rican wife and american husband right so mm -hmm. like <laughs> so so some cool backgrounds there but but they uh one of the couples had children so they had two children and um younger and so that was one kind of avenue in is like okay so what's school like what's uh medical care like here what if you know these are things that you think about as a parent obviously uh so we had some local relationships on the ground in this specific community um mm -hmm. you know f for those things so that was helpful and I would say, so we did a 10 day scouting trip. So, so our next step was, okay, well, what if we go down there with one of our children? So Deva was probably two, I think. And we brought Deva down for 10 days and we were like, all right, let's just go down there. We'll stay at the surf lodge again. And we'll just, we'll just like live in town for 10 days and with a kid <laughs> and just see what that feels like, you know? And immediately, you know, you notice things you're like, okay, well, there's not a lot of pavement. There's, um, there's dogs all over, you know, there's, um, uh, maybe there, maybe things aren't quite as buttoned up. So like your kids probably just not going to free range wander wherever they are. I mean, some kids do, but maybe we, we weren't personally that comfortable with that. So just keep an eye on mm -hmm. what's toddler friendly, <laughs> right? Like our definition of toddler friendly went from like 
suburban home with gates to like, eh, that looks like a gate, you know, that kind of, <laughs> that kind of. <laughs> so um, that, that, that didn't immediately relax, but it did over time. So we toured the school. We got a sense of that. Their school at their age, there were, there were three when we came. They were in a preschool and their entire class was in Spanish. So there was no, their teachers actually even didn't even speak English. Um, the, the other teachers at the school and admin at the school did, but they were in a private school. Um, the school's about, I'd say there's probably like 160 kids in the school and it's pre-K through 11th grade. So uh, very small, very small, but like a broad expat community um, and, and Costa Rican families as well, um, that attend it. So it was a, a cool mix of families, or we'll say. So the other, the other thing was, okay, like, how do we get a car down here? How do we find a house? And what we found about those things was that re- research on the internet did not really do the trick. Like you needed to be here talking to people. Hey, like who knows of a place because long-term rentals were, were hard to come by. And the, the way we found our house and it's the same house we're in today, which is kind of amazing. I mean, every other, yeah, every other expat family I've met down here has lived in at least two or three houses. Um, so how long have you been there so far? We've been here for three and a half years. Cool. All right. Keep going. Yeah. Yeah. So, so we just, we, there's a little info center in town and we befriended the woman who ran that and she just was plugged in, you know, she's a connector, right? She just knows people and she knew a person who had built a retirement home here and then decided not to retire. He was Costa Rican. He lived up North and he was like, I'm not going to retire. I'm going to actually just live up North for a while and run my business. So uh, do you know anyone who, who needs a place and this is the place and it's centrally located it's a great house it's a it's it's amazing and we have fiber optic internet we have like all the stuff we need to run our business and be close to town and all that stuff so um we we found it through a a relationship is the point and so so leading up to the actual move and when we came back from the scouting trip we basically decided all right we're gonna do this like we're gonna we're going to try this. We didn't own a home in the States. We owned a car. We sold the car, just went into a CarMax and we're like, give us money for this car. <laughs> just like you start, you start doing things, you know, when you're trying to shed things, you're just like, Hey, we give this to Goodwill. We haven't used this in six months. You know, you, you kind yeah. of, you move quickly through those decisions. Um, yeah. And for, it took about six months, I think, from the decision point to when we actually arrived. And during the but, six months, I only ha- yeah. Go ahead. So, how, w- w- when did the "Are We Crazy" conversation come up, and how did you resolve that? Because I I feel like that's not that's, an easy. That's conversation the reason that most people don't do it. <laughs> yeah. 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 Sure. Um. Well, okay. So I have a. I think our wife, my wife, and I have different risk tolerances. We would both tell you that. And uh-huh. I would say I have a higher risk tolerance or a uh, tolerance of the unknown, I guess. Like, um, And so I would be the one who would be more likely to, to sort of jump. And she would be the one who would maybe be more like, I really want answers on these things. So we hmm. just tried to answer as many things as we could. And that just took research. That took like working on it a little every day, um, knowing the things to be concerned about. Oh, okay. Like, you know, are we crazy? Usually 
leads to, well, why is it crazy? Well, it's crazy because it's, uh, you know, insert number of unknowns here, right? So, mm. and so we just kind of worked through unknowns as we went, right? Like we didn't, we didn't know how it would impact the business, but we didn't think it would really impact it that much. Um, as long as we had reliable internet. We didn't know what reliable internet meant. So when we came down here, I was doing speed tests. I was figuring out redundancies, meaning like, you know, okay, we have internet at the house. What if it goes out? Well, the cellular internet's pretty fast. So we'll use that and hotspot our phones, you know, it's like that kind of thing. All right. Well, that's one unknown checked off. Okay. Uh, what about all the animals there? Like, are any of them dangerous? <laughs> right. It's another unknown. Totally. So uh, in, yeah. in addition to like the, that's like a really good way to work through the question is just get, let's get down to the specifics and walk through the unknowns and answer the questions. Yeah. yeah. What, what, what about like, do we want to do this and why do we want to do this? Oh, you know? okay. yeah, sure. Sure. That's a good, <laughs> yeah. You, you're backing up from where I started, I guess, which makes sense. Um, do we want to do this? Well, you know, like, well, it could come after the conversation. Like, yeah. you know, like one way I make decisions is like, I figure out all the answers to the questions and then I have all the answers to the questions and then I get to the decision point and I'm like, okay, now, is this something that I really truly want to do with my life? That is because I've, an yeah. I've answered all the objections. I know I can do it. Logistically, yeah. do I want to do it? So maybe it came after, maybe it came before. I don't know. How did you work through it? It came after. Yeah. So, uh -huh. so we did not make a decision. I, I, I would say we did not make a decision. I probably would have made the decision before working through all those things, but I would say Asia didn't, mm -hmm. didn't. So we were making it together. So, so we worked through those things before we decided to, to do it. And so, yeah, it was a lot of working through things. Um, and then I think the other thing that sort of pushed us to the point of, okay, we can do this, was finding a house. Because we knew we had a school. We knew we had a house. We knew we had work. And then it was just like finding a car. And that's actually not that hard to do um, once you figure out how to do it wherever you're going. So once we had those things, we're like, all right, well, we could do this for a year. Like, like what what would be the worst that could happen in a year we could do anything for a year that was mm -hmm. kind of one of the things that we said repeatedly <laughs> we could do whatever we could do anything for a year and well i mean another unknown was we knew that the kids we knew we wanted the kids to benefit from having a second language we did not know how the second language was going to impact our daily life right like we didn't speak any spanish I took a little Spanish in college, but not enough to make a difference. And um, and we didn't. Uh, Asia actually is quite. She's quite good with languages and like like learned some Arabic and German and and different stuff in Swahili. But she's like, she didn't have any Spanish either. So we weren't sure. That was a big question mark. We weren't sure how much that was going to impact our daily life. But we had been down here three different times, right? Like the, the vacation, the scouting trip. And then I came down with a friend to, to finish the house and the car. So we got enough of a sense of the area to be like, all right, well, we can buy groceries and be transactional, <laughs> right? Yeah. Like 
with what we know and we'll learn more. And that was part of the prep work too, is spending some time with Duolingo and getting some basic vocabulary and that kind of thing. So we weren't sure how it was going to impact the kids, but we did know because one of our clients in our business was a Spanish and Mandarin immersion school in New Jersey. And we'd worked with them for like a, like three or four years. And so we had all this research that, that we had been, you know, content we've been putting out for them, right. The research on what, um, immersion education does to kids' brains in a positive way and uh, how they learn and how it impacts their English and all this stuff. And Mm -hmm. we actually had a lot of confidence that that was not going to be anything but a net win. Um, And it turned out to be. I mean, that was an amazing thing. That's still to, to this day probably the most amazing thing of this whole experience for me, watching it happen watching kids become bilingual and they're completely fluent at this point for their age. Um, yeah. They were probably fluent a year ago, depending on, yeah, but they're definitely fluent now and they, and we are not. Um, so watching them kind of, you know, go to school for six hours a day and get Spanish all day. And then just seeing them get to a point where one day they're playing in their room and speaking Spanish the whole time. It's like, whoa when did that happen like you know how so anyway (laughs) but i know that like for example you fell in love with surfing and yeah your wife didn't have that right does she surf no she did the surf camp so she has surfed but she did not Mm -hmm. she did not pursue it beyond that so on one level like i'm imagining you were probably like look surfing (laughs) and she was like Devin, you want to move our whole family so that you can surf? Like, was that ever a conversation? Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, it wasn't. No, because I didn't. I just sort of saw surfing as like, whoa, this is going to be a massive upside to this for me, like on a personal level. But uh, I didn't push it as like a reason for going. Uh-huh. Um, and also, I mean, I was a beginner. When I went to the surf camp, I had never surfed before. So I surfed for a week. So basically, I'd surf for two weeks when we moved here. And then it was like, all right, well, hey, my surf coach lives up the road, like, and mm-hmm. and we're friends. And so now I'll put in the work and now I'll go five days a week or three days a week. And now I'll like I'll I'll put in my time. And that's when I started like really falling in love with it. So So you've been there three and a half years. So obviously you've you decided to push past the year. Was there a conversation that you had as a couple about staying like was that a, making a deliberate decision to stay yeah we checked we checked in um prior to the year ending uh and it just seemed the first year went well i mean it's not it's not like <clears throat> costa like costa rica has a way of throwing things at you but people just figure things out um i i'm trying to think of like off the top of my head examples, a lot of times it, it has to do with just nature. <laughs> you're just learning, like you're, you're in closer proximity to nature. So you're going to see some things. There's not, there's not a lot of super dangerous things here. There's one snake that everybody wants to stay away from, but I've not seen any of those around in this area that we live. So you just do smart stuff. Like don't trounce off into a field. It's like... <laughs> flip-flops on or something um but yeah we we had the we had the conversation and then the other thing is that the school year here there's no summer break 
well, there sort of is, but it's it's one month. So there's a break in July for one month, and there's a break in January for one month, and then the rest of the school year they're in school. So interesting. So that was sort of like a land, like that. If we were gonna go back, like it would have been on one of those two breaks, right? So we just kind of like coming up to those breaks have checked in continually and been like, yeah, what are we, what are we thinking? So, um, yeah. And I, I would also say that we came down uh, 2015. So we, we, it was right. Pri- it was prior to the 2016 election, which certainly affected our interest in going back to the United States. The experiences, it's been very bizarre in some ways to like watch your country from afar and really care about it, really care how it's doing and still yeah. be in close touch with family and friends and their experiences through it, but you're not living it. Like you're not living the day-to-day stress. So that's kind of a strange perspective, but it, yeah. 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 I've heard that from a bunch of Americans who are living abroad the past few years, like that exact same sort of surreal thing to really care about what's going on here, but just not to be here living it day to day. Yeah. Um, so I asked you this right when we reconnected a couple of weeks ago, um, but I, 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 I asked you, you know, look, you've done this thing that not a lot of families do. You're like in this country that a lot of people view as like very close to paradise. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, the beach is right there, but like when you do something like that, it's not all sunshine and roses from then on, I'm assuming, right? Like right. what is, what is it really like when you get down to it to be an expat living in Costa Rica to have done that with your life? Yeah. And your kid? I, I think I get, I get the question. Um, yeah, okay, so initially in the first, let's say the first few, six months or something, there's a lot of excitement because you're you're trying to figure things out. You're like, oh, this is new. This is like, this is a new thing to figure out. This yeah. place has a way of sort of throwing, I, I think in some ways, Costa Rica is remarkably consistent, right? Like the jungle's always growing around you. So it's like, you can cut it back, but it's always just going to grow back. <laughs> and... uh the people are pretty consistent people, I would say. Uh, like people go about their business. Um, it's pretty bureaucratic in the way that the institutions are run. So they don't really change that much. Um, the The government's very stable and it's, I, I don't know, there's just like a consistency to it. Like things don't change that much fast so the weather is always the same is it (laughs) weather is pretty similar there's two seasons here there's a rainy season and a dry season the dry season is basically from like december into april and that would mean that maybe like uh january and february it might not rain at all um so it'll dry out but it'll still be green at least where we are and then the rest of the year is the rainy season, which just means it rains like once a day. It doesn't mean like it's monsoons and you're, you know, it's pouring all the time. It's just once a day rain comes. It's really nice. I love the rainy season. It's actually, it's great. And then from a surfing perspective, there are waves all year round. Like in some parts of California, for example, you go four or five months and there won't be waves because of the angle of the beach you're on. But here there are waves year round. And during the rainy season, there's a little more storm activity out on the ocean. So sometimes the conditions are bigger. 
Um, and then during the summer or dry season, like the conditions are just more consistent, but they're, they're pretty, they're definitely surfable. So uh, that was my little tangent on surf, but <laughs> it's, yeah. So, so what does it feel like? So, so it's exciting initially. And then um, you figure some things out and you build a routine and you build uh, systems or whatever into your life. But then it's like you're still going to handle you're still going to have disagreements with your spouse. You're still going to have to learn how to parent. You know, you may have like, uh, yeah, you still have to grow personally. Um, you have to make relationships and maintain them. And sometimes that's hard from a distance. Although I think it's I was thinking about this the other day. If I lived in a city, the same city as, say, like my mother. Right. Like my mom might actually not even see them as much as she does now because we have like a tradition where every week um, each of their grandparents reads them a story over FaceTime. Um, so every week they're, they're talking to their grandparents. And I know, I know I have lots of friends who live in the same cities as their parents and like they don't see their grandparents every week. You know, So it's sort of, to me, it's sort of like, yeah. Um, contact is relative right like you know uh and and i know it's not the same thing as being in person but it's you can build things into your life that keep you connected to others right and that's i mean we're all doing that now but Mm -hmm. that's something that i've sort of had to figure out the other thing i think here is that it's a it's a bit transient right like families come and go you start to become friends with somebody and then it doesn't work out for them and they got to go back that's happened three times with me in the last six months, which hasn't been super easy. Um, Mm. But you'd experience that in any transient town in the States, you know, experience significant a lot. So, um, but yeah, you still, it's like, I think the term I've used before is like, you have like different bookends around your regular life. So we work full time and our kids have school, just like your kids have school and you, you know, you work, I, you know, mm-hmm. people, <laughs> but then like on the front end of the day and the back end of the day, it might be a totally different experience. Like at four 30, we might drive down to the beach and eat pizza and watch sunset that, you know, some people would basically like see once a year, you know? And, yeah. and so that, that to me is the difference is like what it's like from five to nine <laughs> and from like four to six when it gets dark (laughs) yeah i think that's huge and i really like the metaphor of the bookends as well um and i've definitely found that in new hampshire and you know i came here from basically washington dc where i don't know what the bookend was but it was i lived in an urban area Mm -hmm. and you know like town townhouses and kind of yeah 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 i lived in a townhouse and you know we had like the grocery stores and the movie theaters we could all walk to and the restaurants and the bars and the, the metro was right there and here you know the bookend can be at 5 p.m or whenever i get done with with doing whatever work i have for the day to to go climb and to go walk up that hill and to go you know, look at the Baker Valley and be in nature. Uh And when I was in DC, I had to drive two hours on the weekend to get to a place like that. And I was a long day to do it. I could only do it on the weekends if the kids didn't have like sports games that we had to drive them to. And here, 
like I sort of get used to it, but also I don't. I'm extremely grateful every time I do that, every day. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I, I, I feel the same way. Like I somehow I've met even after this much time, I've I would say more often than not, I'm able to not take that for granted. Yeah. But so <laughs> go ahead. Well, I'm just saying like, so we're talking about Costa Rica as this like, you know, idyllic place. It's an amazing place. It is, it's beautiful and it is super surrounded by nature. But I mean, if I lived in San Jose, it wouldn't be like that. Right. So it's, it maybe has more to do with the type of living you're doing. <laughs> like, mm do you live in a place where the proximity to nature is very close? Because I think I would have the same feeling if I was in, you know, a a farmhouse in Maine, you know, I I would have a similar feeling. I personally feel a strong, once you live by the ocean, it's really hard to want to leave that. There's something about that. (laughs) This is like a really strong connection. Um, Yeah. 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 I agree. Um, You mentioned something in the talk that you sent me, Prior to this, you mentioned like the term lifestyle business, and mm-hmm. you, know, you don't you don't really like that term. I don't. <laughs> well, it's been it's been abused. <laughs> yeah, I'll say that absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, th- this is what's behind the question. It's just that I don't understand people who like they love a thing so much; it's incredibly important to them. Mm-hmm. But then, like, they don't change their life at all to get more of that thing. Because, because of work and because of business and because of, you know, money. Yeah. Well, well, yeah. A lot of people fall into that category. Uh, There's probably a lot of people confronting that reality right now because they, they either lost that work, that business that they, that they chose over the change. Right. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, Or they're just trying to figure out like, man, my business has to be different now. Yeah. I have to do something differently. Um, yeah, like, like I get what you're saying about like, man, I don't, I don't understand why people do that. To me, it, you probably do understand it. It's probably, it probably comes down to risk, uncertainty, the unknown, and maybe not even under, maybe just not having any idea how they would, how they would make a living, right? Like, outside of the traditional track that they followed to get to where they are. You know, and the fact is, my my perspective on that is that somebody who, for example, spends 20 years in higher education, getting an advanced degree or accumulating a ton of research experience, like that person is an expert in something, right? They have expertise. If you have expertise, now is a time in the world where you can package that expertise and share it or sell it or coach it you know whatever it is like that's a that's a real thing that lots of people do and it's the barrier of entry is not super great right now uh it's it's pretty pretty fast to do you know you yeah. can set up a podia account and basically be in that business in a weekend so it's not it just may be that it's just not traditional and it's not the track and there's also this sort of uh, sunken cost fallacy with it where you're like, man, I, I spent all this money to go this way and go this route, uh, you know, to educate myself or these years or whatever it is. And so there's no, you know, it doesn't make sense for me to, uh, right. to, to shift or change. Um, 
I will say that if we were not able to work, uh, if we were not able to run our U.S. business from here, I think it would be very challenging. And I know several families that are doing it, that are making a living here, like working here, but it's it's really challenging. Like I, I don't think we would have it. I don't think we'd be yeah. able to do it. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, one reason you reached out to me is because you'd been reading some of the, the stuff I've written on climate change and um, we didn't get a chance to really dive deep into that, but mm -hmm. You, you told me that you don't really, you know that you're not going to be in Costa Rica forever. And the reason is more or less because of climate change. Is that, did I get that right? Yeah, I, I think that's a fair way to say it. I mean, this is my perspective uh, personally, mm -hmm. but I, I think, I think we're in a window where we can do what we're doing. And I think the window's closing. I don't really know how fast it's closing, but I wouldn't be surprised if it's, if it's, you know, a decade or two that we're looking at, because I think um, if everything follows along the track that it's following, it's going to just be too hot here. It's going to be too hot to uh, be, it's just going to be too challenging to live. I mean, you, you could certainly live indoors with, with AC and all that, but like uh, the combination of the humidity and the heat, because this is a right. very humid environment, um, you know, I think that's going to. I think that's going to change it. So I don't think we'll be here into those years, but I don't know. <laughs> I don't know exactly. I can't predict when that's going to be, but that is a concern. And so I do think um, we've talked about, Hey, would we go live in another country, like another, another expat journey of some kind. And I don't, yeah. really, I don't really have a lot of targets for that. Uh, you know, I certainly don't have one that I'm like, oh, yeah, next step is definitely this. Um, mm. I mean, I'd love <clears throat> my ideal place. If someone's like wave a magic wand and put yourself somewhere in 20 years or 10 years, like it'd probably be Canada. Yeah. For that, for the climate change reason um, and for just societal stability. But um, that's about as far as I've thought. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't want to belabor the audience with like a climate change digression, but I do think that our experience at camp is something I want to get to sure. before we end, because that is such a unique experience. I, at least I think it's unique. I've heard, <laughs> <laughs> I've heard that many people loved their summer camp and I feel like I want to say to them, you don't really know what <laughs> a unique summer camp experience is. So, well, and you and you had multiple you, summer camp experiences because there's I did camp, this, the, the experience you're referring to with you and I was at one camp, but then you had your right. own growing up in Michigan. So I just want to start here, like, Devin, how would you describe Christian science to an outsider, A, and then B, how would you like summarize what a Christian science summer camp is. Mm. Well, <laughs> uh, okay. So that's, that's a, that's a much meatier question than I was thinking I was going to have to answer. Uh, so, <laughs> so I'm not a Christian scientist anymore. My, my, uh, my family is my sister and my mother still are. And I yeah. love friends that are, and I have a lot of friends that aren't um, that were, but it's a, it's a religion and it's probably 
best known i think the thing that people highlight about it is that it's uh it's common that the that christian scientists forego medical treatment and rely on spiritual healing and prayer um but it goes deeper than that but that's that's the that's the characteristic that most people highlight i guess about christian science um so uh christian science use christian science practice right they're um, study and healing and that kind of thing in other areas of their life um, when it comes when it comes to relationships or finances or whatever but yeah it's probably the lack of medical uh, focus on the medical that that distinguishes it so if you take that to a summer camp that means that you know the counselors and the kids are studying science on a daily basis they're relying on it in situations that come up in every summer camp <laughs> and mm-hmm. um but there's there's this like spiritual study aspect to the camp there's a very physical aspect to the camp there's trips aspect to the camp uh, there's a lot of things that a lot of camps have but under it all i guess is this sort of commonality of we you know we're looking all this through the same spiritual lens i guess that uh, is that is that pretty on point yeah were you a camper or just a counselor i was a camper basically from when i was age six to 16 so i was there for and then into my 20s i worked four summers as an adult yeah right so just to by way of background you and i were both camp counselors at uh this christian science summer camp in maine called camp oatana and there's a girls camp next to it called newfound and I was also a camper, but at a different Christian science camp in Northern Michigan called Leelana. And um, Devin and I were co-counselors the the first year we were there and then worked together for another two summers after that. But like, do you, do you feel like you had a unique summer camp experience that was good? Do you, do you look on Mm -hmm. it fondly? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, I look on those years as a camper very fondly, the years as a staff member very fondly. Um, I don't, I don't have any negative um, connotations with that experience at all. And I feel like part of the, look, there's lots of summer camps that draw kids from all over the world, but there's probably more summer camps that just draw kids regionally. Right. So we, so that's one thing about, this camp was that it was pulling kids from all over the world and country. And so I don't know, it was a, that was really cool. Um, and same with the staff. So that was, that was unique. It was a little bit like, I guess a little bit of what you get a taste of in college, you know, but earlier. Um, but I also just think that, that, uh, the programming, I just, I got exposed to so many things. Um, it'd be different than if you went to like basketball camp, right? <laughs> because you're, yeah. you're getting, you're getting team sports, you're getting archery, you're getting arts and crafts, you're learning to tie knots, you're learning to water ski, you're learning to sail, you're learning to hike mountains, you know? I mean, you're doing all this stuff that you might just try one or two of those things in a typical summer at another camp. So that was a big thing for me. Yeah, the, there's uh, there are traditional, I think they're just called traditional camps where you get to do all the different activities and there are campfires like we had and there are trips like we had. But 
when I look back on it, my feeling, my theory as to like why it was so unique was precisely because these staff were all Christian scientists and, and it was a particular expression of Christian science that you didn't really find in like the schools or the family or the church life. Mm-hmm. And in my opinion, this particular expression of Christian science was like very focused on the like love, loving each other aspect of it and the tough love that the counselors would give to the campers. And it, it sounds sort of like an odd thing to point to, but when you have staff that are all on the same page in how they want to treat each other and how they want to treat the kids. I feel like it just made for like a really special environment where like we did physical things that were far tougher and more challenging than I've ever heard other kids doing at other camps. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the three day long overnight capture the flag, full tackle in the woods, in yep. northern michigan being being yeah, the big one for sure. but like and and i think the reason we were able to do that and keep doing it is is because we had that like spiritual framework around it almost it, and and i just don't know if that is possible at other camps without staff that are all like knit together in the way that the staff at these camps was yeah that's interesting i I guess I. You were a chief counselor, so you were like in charge of yeah. the staff at one point. So, For what's your perspective years. on that? Yeah. Yeah. Well, okay. So, my perspective, I have two two things to say. One is as a as a head counselor, like overseeing all the counselors. I guess there was yeah there was a concerted leadership effort to sort of yeah maintain that bond throughout the staff you're still dealing with <laughs> with people at various stages of maturity <laughs> yeah right so you got some 18 year olds you got some you know 32 year olds and there's there's bridging that gap so you're going to find you know different approaches to it through that i i think the other thing is having stepped back from it uh and stepped back from the religion itself and the that spiritual side of it um, I, like, I find myself thinking about it more in terms of like character education, which is maybe that's, you know, like you're, you're totally right about the fact that the staff was all on the same page and the way that we ha- held meetings, for example, like the way that mm-hmm. they were hired, the way that the kind of interviews that they gave, the kind of meetings we would have, if there was an issue, the weekly meetings we had, there was this sort of like trust and like, uh, there was pulling for each other and, and it was, it was much deeper than like, Hey, you're on a staff. And if you do something wrong, you're going to get in trouble for it. Right. <laughs> like, yeah. like that wasn't the motivation. It was more like, Hey, let's, let's all bond and pull together. There was a real brotherhood there. Um, so I, I, I remember it that way. And I would just say like, as far as the, the challenge i completely agree with the the tough love thing but not in like a hey let's like abuse the kids kind of thing like which i've heard of in other summer camps i just think it was really solid character education like it was that was woven into it maybe that had an underpinning maybe that had a root in 
kind of the spiritual side you're talking about. Maybe that's where it came from. Mm. It was like, it was legit. Uh, you know, there were so many examples. And, and the thing is that standard went from the staff all the way down to the campers. And because it was the same standard for adults as it was for kids, I felt like, you know, that consistency probably produced the end result. If that yeah, I agree. The, the legit, it was totally legit. What, but what do you mean by like the standard? Like what, what standard are you talking about? Uh, well, I, I think we all, we all had the same standards of behavior. Like, like if there was a counselor who was, who was treating people, right? Like in a way that we wouldn't even tell the kids to treat one another. It's not like we were looking at the adults and being like, all right, well, you have, you know, you're, you're getting a pass for this, yeah. you know, in an ideal, in an ideal setting, I'm sure we missed stuff, but you, you know, you know what I'm saying? Like we were teaching the kids the same things we were teaching the counselors. If that, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, it was all from the same playbook to some degree. So, yeah. but yeah, you... that was really special. And this was the first year that you and I met was we were working together <laughs> and it was cool. Like we'd never done, had you ever been a cabin counselor? I'd never done it before. No, I'd never had either. And um, we were just figuring it out. <laughs> you were naturally good at it. <laughs> <laughs> and I think I had some learning to do. I, I want to just recount this to you and our listeners will just forgive the anecdote, but <laughs> at the camp, you wake up at, I think, six an hour before everyone else in order to study the lesson, the daily Christian science lesson. Right. And, you know, the idea was to like prepare yourself as a counselor to then, you know, give that to the kids. And you were like always up and doing it. And I was like struggling to wake up and do it. I think like <laughs> I might remember that. Yeah. A little six, six 45 AM would roll around and I'd be like, Oh my God, you know, the rest of the, you know, I just like was not good. But then, so then like two years later, you were head counselor and I was, you know, a counselor still, mm -hmm. just, you know, you moved up and I didn't. <laughs> I, must, I must have known some people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I just had like infinitely better discipline by the time I left that, yeah. um, yeah. left that camp. You would walk by at like 6.15 in the morning You'd be there. to like sort of check on people. And I was like always outside. Yep all the time reading the lesson studying the lesson yeah um no that and that dude that's what it was like that's what i loved about it that's why i loved that job not not as the head counselor but just even just being a counselor is just i felt like everybody was just trying to get everybody's bar raised and there's something also about a prolonged effort right like because like mm. we haven't mentioned this but the camp's basically eight weeks long i mean there's seven yeah. weeks with the campers and so you know, by week four, by week five, by week six, like there's going to be some cumulative fatigue and guys are going to dip and people are going to mess up. And so it's like to emerge on the other end of it with success is really, uh, you know, there's, there's a lot that goes into that. And totally that, you know, the length is something I hadn't dwelled on a lot, but it's true that I will, I tell them, you know, I was at camp for seven weeks as a, as a camper every summer right. and as a counselor for eight weeks, a little more than that. And they're like, really? That's so long. Yeah. Everybody and, says that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
Okay. Your average camp is like one week, two weeks, sleep away, like maybe four weeks if it's like a long one. Right. And, you know, by two weeks, like anyone can handle two weeks. Then you go home and get back to your usual life. But like, yeah, basically most of the summer we were there. And you're right. It was like by by week five, six, it was like, whoa, you know, we've been here a while. I mean, (laughs) I I would say that that experience, that prolonged experience with the same group of people, more or less, um, has like really helped me get through this experience so far. I mean, I, I think of one other experience that I had when I was in college, when I was a junior in college, I went on a Knowles course for 90 days. I did a 90 day semester with them. And that was basically, for those who don't know, the National Outdoor Leadership School. It's just a 90-day expedition, and you're you're in the field for that long with 15 of the same people. And it's fascinating, the stuff you learn about <laughs> human behavior, leadership, feedback, all that stuff. Yeah. But as a camp counselor, too, I don't know, like, I feel totally comfortable being like, all right, I got two hours with the kids. I got to figure out something to do. Like there's a million things I can pull from memory (laughs) that would be Mm -hmm. fun to do with my kids, you know, Mm -hmm. mythical things to get them their energy, crafty things, uh, whatever it is. Like, so I'm drawing on that for sure right now. Yeah. I also did an old semester as well. And it had a similar impact on me. Mm. Um, Where was your The Pacific Northwest. Oh, cool. Nice. What what did you do? We did um, Baja, Mexico. Oh, awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So what else, Devin? I think, you know, we're at an hour. (laughs) We've been talking an hour. Usually I try to not go too much over that. Yeah. (laughs) Well, no, I, I just, I appreciate the, the conversation. I think like, um, just, even just thinking about the summer, the summer camp, and where we where we first met, um, I just I'll I'll just say I'm appreciating um, your reflections too in writing and in this. Um, I, I'm finding I'm finding a lot more time to reflect and carving time out each day to to read. Um, I use this. I kind of try and get myself to do three things daily if i can <laughs> for myself yeah. and i i uh, kind of track it so for right now it's it's uh kettlebells uh kettlebell workout um some kind of business development work and then surf training on land and i did have more spanish study but that's really not gone as well as i was hoping so <laughs> so i took my four and whittled it down to three so i'm actually curious like if you have anything similar going on with you um in terms of yeah, daily that's, habits. That's like a really good way to look at it. I, I do have daily habits. Um, I do try to meditate for 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, I uh, try to write, although not daily. I give myself a break and try to take the weekends off or take, take one or two days off a week mm-hmm. so that I'm not dogmatic about writing. Mm-hmm. Um and then just try trying to detach from the electronics for a little bit of time each day mm. um, is something that's important to me as well. Like the phone stays plugged in in a particular place in the house, and then I I leave it. So that's really good. And I would climb every day, but you can't actually climb every day. Um, but I when the when it is climbing season in Rumney, mm. 
then I'm out there three or four times a week. What makes it climbing season? Is it just the weather? Yeah, it's the weather. I mean, Rumney has uh, definitely long, cold winter, uh-huh. and the rock is covered with ice at that point. Uh-huh. Um, and I'm not an ice climber, so I don't do yep. that. And then there's like a wet mud season, which is now. And um, but uh, the the climbing weather has basically started now, and it'll go through November until it's too cold. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm gonna. I think we're both on the same page with this. Like, where we're just gonna appreciate that stuff so much more when we're able to do it again. Like, I cannot. I cannot even imagine what it's going to feel like to get on a wave again. I'm so excited about that. I feel like I'm going to, I'm falling in love with surfing all over again. And I haven't surfed in a month and a half, like, like right now, just cause I'm brutal. Yeah. It's re- I'm really excited. Actually. Uh, I think I'm going to appreciate it that much more. So I'll have to build more of that into my schedule. <laughs> all right, Devin, it was great chatting with you. We'll leave it there. Likewise. Thanks, Russell.